It's a new decade, and Giants Confirmed is back. I'm your host, Trevor Ickrath. I'm Matt Ribeiro. And with us today... uh... Brooklyn, though. Track zero. <laughs> I mean, the fare going up to $100, that just sounds like what the MTA is doing anyway. Greg, when you were first um, discovering this album when it came out, did you have any idea of this track's existence? Because you, it's a hidden track. You need to rewind past oh. track one to get to this one. Yeah, yeah. So this was, you know, I got this album when it was new. And so it was, we're firmly in the CD era. Um, I'm... <sighs> I can't really recall when I found out that there was a track before the first track, but it was not immediately. I think it was a couple of years after owning it that I found out that that was uh, that was a thing. Token Back to Brooklyn, I definitely did not find immediately, um, but as soon as I heard about it, I did have a CD player that was able to uh, do that. And I was like, it blew my mind. My memory of CDs is primarily in like the post-CD ripper area. So, like, anything like a pre-gap would just be found by the right. software right away. Yeah. Showing our youth with that one. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's not as annoying as, like, I actually just bought, uh, I don't know, one of my friends gave me, he was getting rid of some of his physical CDs, and he gave me this album by um, the band Cub, who actually we'll be talking about later we'll on this episode. We'll be talking about a little bit. Yes, he, uh, I just got an album of theirs. It's not the one that has uh, the, the cover on it, uh, but it has 99 tracks and, oh my god yeah it's one of those this was the thing that bands in the 90s did anyway it just has like the sound of it sounds like a like squeaky bed springs like people are having sex or something or like a squeaky door constantly squeaking something squeaks through 99 tracks that are like six seconds long a piece before it finally gets to the secret track and when it first oh like god. i was playing it through on an actual cd player and i'm like oh god damn it this is going to be one of those 99 track things isn't it and then <laughs> sure enough it was i'm like god damn it no yeah <laughs> the bill collector's drinking lighter fluid he says he'll tell our parents our feet start running at a furious pace i mean like this is just this is just what transit cops are <laughs> this is this this song works in the present day perfectly well yeah and I, yeah, I kind of like the 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 way this one's recorded, where it's like in a kind of a lower fidelity. I I kind of like that it's like a like kind of jukebox feeling to the album before it comes into Sexxy with its you know string quartet. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like one from the duo era. Mm-hmm. There are a couple songs on this album that I feel like are from the duo uh, era that we'll talk to as we get to them. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are pretty old. The reason why I like this one being on the album so much is because it feels like it. Uh, a big thing for Factory Showroom for me is that it feels like it, a very time and place record. Like I know that they recorded it like while on a short tour and mainly in New York City. Mm-hmm. And like this feels like a brief glimpse into like the time they spent in New York City. It feels like it's establishing the time and the place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also it also feels like it could work as an opening or closing track. 
Yeah. It, it has kind of that feel where they you they could e- just as easily have put it at the end of the album, and it would have felt right there. I think I read, yeah, the vinyl version has it at the end. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You have to rewind past the beginning of the vinyl. <laughs> it's like on the very edge. Imagine they just had a groove for it, and then there, it just stops there and puts you in a lock groove, and you actually have to move the needle to put it for the rest of the album. Yeah. <laughs> it's track five on Long Tall Weekend, which doesn't feel right. No, Long Tall Weekend is weird. Yeah. We'll just be like, we already talked about this one. Skip. <laughs> Leela, shut up. Sorry, my dog is yipping. Do you guys have anything else to say about taking back to Brooklyn, or do you want to get on to the proper stuff? Could move on. Let's get on to the main, the main juice here. It's a new decade, and Giants Confirmed is back. I'm your host, Trevor Ickrath. I'm Matt Ribeiro. And with us today, uh, we're pleased to be joined by the host of This Might Be a Podcast... Greg Simpson. Greg, welcome to the show. Howdy, y'all. I'm going to talk like a hillbilly because people might not know me that are listening. I could be like, I'm from Indiana, except I'm actually <laughs> except I'm actually from Chicago. I've just lived in Indiana for a while. For people who may not know who you are, uh, do you want to give a brief introduction to yourself and talk about your history with uh, everyone's favorite band, They Might Be Giants, a little bit or something like that? Sure. So, uh, I yeah, so like you said, I host... This might be a podcast, a song by song, They Might Be Giants podcast, and I have released, I just released episode 67. A much more frequently updated (laughs) They Might Be Giants podcast than this one. Yes, we released uh, 80 hours of content in our first year, in my first year. I don't know why I keep saying we, but the other other podcast I co-host is called Best Midwestern, and that is all about uh, Midwestern music. And that one, it, it posts about as much as Giants confirmed. We, uh, <laughs> well, since my co-host Scott, who's in Cleveland, he uh, took on a job at, um, he works in one of the, the school of rocks, like teaching uh, voice lessons. And nice. so his schedule, I'm a music teacher during school hours. He's a private lesson teacher during afternoon and evening hours. So our work schedules are completely different and it's a lot harder to uh, schedule stuff while I somehow stumbled upon the perfect way to do a podcast, which is going kind of solo, but that I have a different guest on every episode. I've had some repeat guests, but I could just be like, hey, uh, I'm going to record every Thursday evening while my wife's at tennis. Who's available that signed up for a song? If you want to record, unless you're in some weird time zone, make yourself available Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) It works. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, Best Midwestern, we have been doing a state-by-state state project. We're not song-by-song, song, but we're state-by-state. State. Uh, we started out about five years ago doing uh, record reviews and interviews with musicians that are all Midwest, um, trying to highlight, you know, bands from places that, you know, people don't focus on, like Iowa and, you know, Missouri and... Uh, you know, the Dakotas and stuff like that. So uh, the past couple of years, we should have been able to pull it off in one year if we did an episode a month. Uh, but yeah. but uh, we have done, let's see, we just, our most recent one was uh, Minnesota, I think. But it's been super cool because I will go like all the way back, total music teacher nerdery and talk about like, I'll talk about like Native American music. I will talk about like whatever, like all the way back, even though, 
it's hosted through punk news we get up to the present and we focus on indie rock and punk um but it's been really fun we just have trouble scheduling so yeah that's kind of our our, this podcast if you believe it or not was originally intended to be a once a month affair yeah yeah (laughs) it's yeah it's tough and yeah having best laid plans and all that Right, <laughs> and having a and yeah, co-host, the problem, the, the, right, on a different time zone and everything. Yeah, the struggles the of a podcaster. Releasing, the boys releasing three albums in one year surely doesn't help. <laughs> well, yeah, f- fuck. I'm song by song, and I'm I start this thing in 2018, and uh, I'm like, okay, well, I- even if yeah, I saw you. I saw you recently spent like two hours talking about who keeps moving my chair. You're never gonna cover it all. <laughs> Like I'm not saying it's not a dense song, like rich with discussion topics, but well, the 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 issue was it was already like an hour, it was already creeping up on two hours, and then the they might be shitposting group, um, <laughs> Ekalemchi Okembo put out a tribute compilation to Flood, so then there were three more covers of the song, and uh, we have a covers section, so I already like narrowed it down to like a, a tight like five covers that were like you know there was like a chip tune cover. You know, acoustic cover, a piano cover, all these different covers. And then this this comp came out, and it was like all these people we knew. So we're like, I think we don't want to give them the shaft. So we did a second recording session to talk about oh those God. three covers. And then I pieced it all together. So that's how that got out of control. Did you find out who was moving the chair? Uh, yeah, it was you. Goddamn. How dare you? Trevor. I've been found out. <laughs> Trevor keeps moving my ah. Ah, you really, you really got to get the right vowel sound on that one. Yeah, I found this cover that I refused to play because the guy said chair, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> like someone keeps moving my chair. No, that's uh, no. I'm it's like, that hurts my ears. <laughs> like it hurts my ears. <laughs> Can't say it correctly. Come on. So, what are your experiences with Factory Showroom? I know it's like it's considered kind of like it's a it's a middle period album, which I feel like is the period that's always kind of the lost period for They Might Be Giants fans just because it is kind of their least prolific period for, like, main albums. Yeah, we should say that today we're going to be covering uh, They Might Be Giants' uh, sixth album and their last for Electra Records, 1996's uh, Factory Showroom. God, had we not said that yet? No, we hadn't, but now I have. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> we're, we're all podcast pros, you know, apparently. Um, yeah, uh the so factory showroom so i've talked about it multiple times on my podcast but for people that haven't uh listened um i came in uh as a fan between apollo and john henry and uh apollo 18 has always been my favorite album of theirs with lincoln at a close second but it happens to me with a lot of bands where like the album that's your introduction to them just like has this stranglehold as your favorite album for like all eternity mm-hmm. it's formative Right. So, um, so, so I came in, the first stuff I heard was the duo era and then John Henry came out like a year later. So I, cause I became a fan in like 93. So then John Henry came out. I don't remember being like totally thrown off by the full band thing. I was, I mean, I was like 14 years old when it came out. Mature enough to realize that all things change in time. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. They were already, always like, an outlier, uh, like in high school, I would have called Lagwagon my favorite band, who are the skate punk band on Fat Records. And I was totally just listening to like the fastest, you know, I was a young drummer, just listening to like the fastest 
uh, crazy escape punk stuff, and then uh, and then like ska stuff when that started getting popular in the the mid to late '90s, and then uh, they might be giants. So they were kind of like doing their own thing, and like you guys were talking about on John Henry, like how clearly the Johns grew up on punk stuff. And while mm-hmm. um, you might not call them a punk band, I I would I was making this this uh, argument just on I think on the chair episode about how I would call them a post punk band or a new wave band. If you listen to like Flans' guitar work on the early stuff, like it's he's totally a punk guitarist and totally influenced by you know the Ramones and Wire and Gang of Four and all these other bands that. Yeah, they bring up the Ramones a lot in like when talking about influences and the kind of stuff that they were looking into as a band. And yeah, no, the, like the they might be giants is punk. It always just reminds me of the uh, the Parquet Courts guy said that they might be giants is the punkest band he can think of. Oh my god, I need to c- try to get that guy in an episode. Then you should, um, you should. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally go for it. It's interesting that you bring up New Wave because I actually think Factory Showroom is perhaps their like new waviest album. Well, hell, they have a song called XTC versus Adam Ant, which XTC <laughs> I'd call more of a power pop band, but they were big in the 80s. And then like Adam Ant, um, well, like they say, like the genre is called New Romantic, but he's essentially a New Wave artist. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, we'll get to that one later. But um, so like John Henry to me, I was like, hell yeah, they got real drums. I was a drummer. I'm like, I got no problem with that. Um, you know, Brian Doherty has a lot of, uh, cool stuff going on. So, uh, a- anyway, to get to Factory Showroom, I think I actually considered this my favorite album for a brief period. Um, and, and then kind of went back to being like, no, I think Apollo 18 is my favorite. Um, but when it was the new album, um, I mean, I think I considered it like the new album for quite a while, because like you were saying, it was a weird period of of stuff being released i think it had a lot to do with the whole electra debacle yeah um but like well i mean the well, then- so after this there's severe tire damage and yep. they got lost are the next like the the largest releases until mink car and right. we'll probably cover those as as chronological albums rather than just doing canonical albums um but yeah like no no canonical album comes out until mink car yeah, I mean, like Long Tall Weekend again is a, is a weird one, and I talked to I had Dan Hickey, you know, the, their other former trimmer, uh, <laughs> on. We just talked about Rest a While, which is on uh, the EP um, Working Undercover for the Man, which came out before Mink Car, and I was like, yeah, so you were only on two albums, two proper albums. He's like, wait, is that right? Like, couldn't he, he's <laughs> like, that can't be right, and I'm like, yeah, dude, you were. Uh, you were really only on uh, Mink Car and No. And he's like, well, what about Long Tall Weekend? And I'm like, yeah, well, we looked through it, and it's like more than half Brian. So I was like, huh, I thought I was on that more. <laughs> it, it's so funny because like... Because the, there's sessions from all over the place, right? Yeah, that was like a totally weird collection. And I think at the time when it came out, it was my freshman year of college, and our internet connection wasn't good enough to i just like didn't end up getting it because i was in the door 1999 would have been like napster era when it took 30 minutes to download a single mp3 i can't imagine it was super easy to buy an album yeah i was more of a kazaa guy but yeah so factory showroom i I think i considered my favorite for a while because the production really won me over uh because it's very slick and despite being a punk guy i i like you know i was also a band guy you know playing trombone 
mm-hmm. in school. I played trombone all through college, you know, doing the music ed stuff. I was all about the arrangements. I'm like, this album is awesome. You know, every song is good. Um, you know, they had these songs where they stretched out a little more. You know, we'll talk about how long some of these songs are. Uh, like eternities yeah. for this band. I know. Or like, f- like four minutes. What? What? That's like three They Might Be Giants songs. Really leaving their roots behind. Yeah, yeah. And then, so Factory Showroom came out when I was in high school. And then Mink Carr came out when I was, you know, firmly in, in college. Um, yeah, and, and so then... Mink Car was like my my jam, you know. I'm away from the parents. I can blast stuff loud in the dorm room. I'm like sucking my roommate into being a They Might Be Giants fan. He was actually on episode two, the I've Got a Fang episode, episode two of my podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just as each new album came out, we we're like, this one's our favorite album now. But like now that I'm older and uh, I'm older than I've ever been, and then I, I just like as I look back on how they've released so many albums, I'm like, okay, Apollo 18 is is my favorite, and you know I've gone back yeah. to that. I feel like when you reach a certain age, that your taste ch- kind of just becomes codified. You have to really, really work against that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've I've gotten old enough where like you know I did the whole college thing where like oh I'm not into punk anymore. I'm into like indie rock. I'm like like you guys talked about Modest Mouse on the last episode. They, they became one of my favorite bands in college, and they're like a total college band, you know, like, oh, yeah. that's what college students are supposed to be into. You either get into, like, Pink Floyd or Bob Marley, or you get into, like, the, the weirder indie rock stuff, or, like, oh, I'm into classic punk now. I only listen to the New York Dolls, you know, shit like that. <laughs> so, uh, but then They Might Be Giants were always just doing their own thing and never were competing against anything else. They're all in like in their own sphere, so I never push them to the side like so many other things. It's kind of kind of crazy. They've always been with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the sets they were playing in their early days, like playing with no wave bands, like playing with like swans. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, bonkers. That 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 that's just would have loved to have seen that double bill. I know that is such a bill. Yeah. Michael Gira finishes up doing whatever horrible thing he's doing on stage, and the Johns just walk on. Would be surreal. I would. I would think it would be the other way. No. Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess so. I. I just want to see. I just want to see them play a set where they both end up on the ground, like in that famous picture of them doing like the, you know, the 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 famous polka and like Flans is just like laying on in front of like some other band's drum kit or something, and and Linnell's like crouched down with the accordion. Uh, but at this point, they might have trouble getting back up after yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, th- these men's both pushing 60. My knees ain't what they used to be. Greg, I want to ask you a question, which I'd like to start asking all of our guests. It's a bit of a loaded question, but I want your take on it. Oh, boy. Are you more of a Linnell guy or a Flans guy? I I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who listens to my podcast that I'm a Linnell guy. But uh, I think... well, and, I, and I've thought about doing Patreon episodes, doing... Uh, having people face off, have someone that's uh, uh, admittedly a Linnell person and someone that's admittedly a Flans person face off in like a friendly competition of like, which John is the best John? Um, That'd be an interesting way to look at an album to like tally the the Flansburg songs against the Linnell uh, ones and just see who was like the MVP for that particular record. Well, have you guys looked at the song rankings list on the wiki? I know you you talk about we the, peek at it occasionally. The I don't know if it's still this way. I'm gonna go bring I'm gonna bring it up real quick. But they uh, someone brought it up on the Miscellaneous T Facebook group that like the top fifty songs are like like all Linnell. 
That tracks. Someone was like, I hope Flansburg never looks at this. <laughs> you know he does, though. Probably. Linnell's, Linnell's the one that wouldn't. I'm, sh- I'm sure Flans lurks the group, too. He's always around. Yes. So I'm looking at the song rankings right now. And let me see where the first... We have some high-ranking ones on this album. Oh, we do, yeah. yeah it was a, a couple feel like ranked strangely high, although there are a couple that I do think feel like they belong up there. Yeah. Uh, Puppet Head is the first Flansburg lead, and that's at number 27. Good lord. Yep. Poor guy. Yep, because <laughs> I know, because it's like... It's like Birdhouse, Anna Ink, Don't Let's Start, Till My Head Falls Off, She's an Angel, Dr. Worm, Where Your Eyes Don't Go, The End of the Tour, The Communists Have the Music, Like It Just Keeps Going, Linnell Track After Linnell Track. I'm really glad that Communists Have the Music has gotten that high. I know, it's insane. I think, well, and I did that episode already um, with a guy from uh, Poland who who came up, uh, right? He, he was growing up during the fall of the Soviet Union. It was a very good uh, guest to have. That's a good one. That's a good person to have on. Yeah, and... Um, He's into like all this like weird North Korean music and stuff that is totally stuff I'd never heard before. Totally bizarre, um, but really interesting stuff. And um, yeah, I was just talking to him today because I need to send him a T-shirt. and It's probably going to be very expensive uh, to mail him a T-shirt for the podcast. And I, but my I, what I posited was that um, when a new song comes out. All of us rabid fans are like, let's go to the wiki and rank it really high because I'm so excited about this new song. Yeah, a little bit of recency bias. Right. And Communists only has 90 ratings to get it at number nine. While yeah, and everything around it is over is over 100. Right. Well, They'll Need a Crane comes after it at number 10, but has 282 ratings. And like Birdhouse has over 500 ratings, you know. People only get on to rate songs they really like or really dislike. That's the kind of skew. Yeah, it. it's not it's not like a, a scientifically perfect method or anything. No. I don't really understand how it works, but I'm willing to go with it. You could talk to John Ulyss. He's uh he helps I mean, he's kind of the main guy that runs it right now. He was just on an episode about hasn't aired yet, but him and one other guy named Matt, we did an episode on all four Hotel Detective tracks. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, John's been like the main guy I've always seen in any They Might Be Giants fan community I've found myself in. Yep. Like the ones on Last FM, the one on Facebook, yep. on the wiki itself, because he was he's always been one of the main guys around there. Oh, yeah. And one of his videos, his videos of this, the still lube or however you want to pronounce the bullets... Uh, Sapphire Bullets backwards thing. His video made it onto Stereo Gum. Stereo Gum posted about uh, they might be giants playing this track backwards, and they embedded his video of it. I'm so sad that that happened after we did our flood episode. Yeah. Oh well. I would have loved to talk about that. <laughs> so, Greg, Factory Showroom is not your favorite album anymore, but where does it like sit with you within the band's discography? Oh, good lord. Um, because like two years after its release, I read John Flansburg. Uh, said this was his favorite album of theirs. I don't know if he still feels that way, though. I could see how the guys would be very proud of it because of, I mean, obviously, to me it feels like they were squeezing every last penny out of Elektra before they left the label, uh, and the production is top-notch, so I could see, like... I think it sounds a lot better than John Henry. Yeah, like, I love, you know, the songs on John Henry, but I have some problems with the production, but Factory Showroom oh, just sounds so crisp and like the drum panning like having a crash in each ear i've been a sucker for that since i heard dookie in seventh grade and it's like it's it's if i were gonna rank it though to answer your question let's see um 
Okay, here we go. Apollo 18, number one. Lincoln, number two. <laughs> uh, let's do... Number three, I think, would probably... I think it would have to be Flood. Uh, the Pink Album for Mink Car 5. The Else 6. Join Us 7. And then probably Factory Showroom at like 8th place. Still in the top ten. Yeah, they have a lot of albums. They do have a lot of albums, so it's not like a it's not like an eighth placement is very is very right, low. Right. And Matt, how how do you feel about this one as a long term fan of the band? Where does Factory Showroom sit for you? I, I I don't know if I could rank it in a list, just because I like have not spent as much time with it as an album as I have with a lot of the other ones. Yeah, you were saying this kind of belongs to a period where like a lot of the material just kind of gets overlooked, and I definitely agree with that. Yeah, so I, I think for for a long time in my fandom of the band, everything from John Henry through Mink Car blended together, and I think it's just because like the the first four albums I kind of got as a set first. Yeah, And then I just, you know, got a discography torrent when I was like 14 years old and listened to music on shuffle a lot back then. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a lot of, I, I know the songs from hearing the songs, but as an album, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable ranking it along with the other parts of the set that I'm more familiar with, uh, including the stuff from, you know, 2004 onwards, which I was getting as it came out. I feel a little similarly, I think, like there are some songs here that really stand above and beyond is like some of my favorite they might be giants tracks of all time mm-hmm. but i don't know how much factory showroom does for me as like a front to back album i mean i hope you still have a, a compressed version for the end of the episode oh you know i do matt obviously you know you do <laughs> we'll get to it oh yeah i love yes i i'm i'm a fan of that uh segment <laughs> it's a good bit these guys put a lot of they put a lot of tracks on their albums yeah this is like one of their shortest ones though yeah. although it's one of their longest running times i think yeah no they it's it's relatively tight track wise even if you include the bonus tracks speaking of the tracks though do you guys want to do you want to go through them start the track by track absolutely all right i just want to make sure we're starting with track zero correct we had an idea that we would talk about track zero and then stitch it to the start of the episode yeah to make a (laughs) pre-gap Well, then where are we going to talk? Where are we going to talk about Token Back to Brooklyn? We'll, we'll talk about it, and then we're going to stitch it to the start. We could just talk about it now, and then you could, and then you could throw it on. We could throw it there later. Is there any way to make a podcast where you have to f- rewind past the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> no, but I'm going to include some sound effects that makes it seem like that's what's happening. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, it. it'll be super good. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the album opens with S-E-X-X-Y. That baseline fucking rips. Oh, yeah. I don't like this song. I've never been able to get into it. It's a very divisive song. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I just checked the wiki, and it's ranked 768 out of 910, so I feel like the fan base is on my side. But again, again, like I was saying about the song rankings, Mm -hmm. people only go on to rank songs that they think are 10s and songs that they think are 1s. Clearly a lot of people think this one is a 1. S-E-X-X-Y More than enough Around the clock With nobody Yeah, but it's definitely it's like tanked the the, the results because I think 
Well, I haven't done this episode yet. Uh, I've done three Factory Showroom episodes. Spiraling Shape, James K. Polk, and I Can Hear You. Oh, and the bells are ringing with uh, Brian, so I guess four. All in the back half of the record. Um, but I got my friend Steve, the same guy from I've Got a Fang, is signed up for SEXXY, and I think he is a fan of it. And I used to be a fan of it, and have since grown grown weary of this song. Yeah, well, it's, it's supposed yeah. to be their... John uh, Flansburg refers to it as their ode to getting it on. But really... I mean, looking at the lyrics, it seems it seems a bit questionable. This is also one of the like one of a couple of tracks on this album that has like weird gender stuff going on with it. Oh yeah, yeah. like she wants to be your man, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then just the idea of XXY referring to Kleinfelters, which is like something that people bring up in the interpretations constantly, even though I don't think it's anything that is supposed to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Flans has said like, you know, and he will rarely talk about what songs are actually about. You guys have mentioned this too. Right. Usually they just like fuck with you. Um, but yeah. I think... The weird thing for a Factory Showroom is that they released an entire like promotional like uh, like introduction to Factory Showroom and they were pretty like explicitly like clear about what everything is kind of about. Although, who knows, maybe they were just pulling our legs. Yeah, some of it might be them fucking with you. You never know. But it seemed earnest. It's very weird. It says encouraged by... Encouraged by Electra's liberal A and R staff, uh, to yeah. So th- I I think it was probably Electra being like, people have trouble understanding you. Just fucking tell them. Like, God damn okay, it. Okay. Yeah. No. That that actually just puts it firmly in that they're fucking with people camp. Right. But I I think Flans has come out l- later like saying no, it is not about that stuff, guys. Like I think he was kind of like, for once, like okay, let me clear this up because you guys are clearly interpreting it wrong. <laughs> Look, I'm a. I'm a New York art nerd. I don't know what Kleinfelter syndrome is. Yeah. It, it's very much like um, there was a whole thing where um, there's this bit in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, one of the sequels, where they pull a bunch of letters out of a Scrabble bag and it's supposed to give them the ultimate question. And it's what do you get when you multiply six by nine? But then like the normal answer to the question is 42, right? That's the whole thing with Hitchhiker's Guide right. to the Galaxy. But six times nine is in base 13 is 42 or at least 42 and then it's just Douglas Adams was basically like I don't know what that is that's not what it is <laughs> <laughs> like some people sometimes people will read a little much into something when they don't fully get it and yeah. I, I I really think that John the Johns kind of like to mess around with that a little bit but you know there's a point where it's a it's a little much I, I do want to make a uh, comparison to something you guys talked about in uh, the John Henry okay. episode this song, I think, is the snail shell of this um, album in that the Johns were like, this is the fucking single. And then everyone else is like, yeah, I don't know. It's OK. <laughs> is it, though? <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Because, like, I have nothing against snail shell except the slap bass, which I, I hate slap bass. Um, <laughs> and I got nothing against funky tracks, but it it it's like they were pushing this song hard and like they did it on late shows a lot. Uh, talk shows and uh, and it sounds cool and like the production is amazing, um, but it's just like it. I feel like if this song were at like track twelve, I'd like it more. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it starts the album, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like a good opener. No, I agree with that. It doesn't feel like a good single either. Yeah, till till my head falls off should open this album. 
Uh, no doubt about it. 100%. I, I was also relating this to, uh, I don't know how big a Weezer fans you guys are. Um, uh, they, I'm a big Weezer fan. Right. They definitely lost me through, you know, I'm not the total Matt Damon guy from that SNL sketch, but I will defend the album Make Believe. I think Make Believe is a great album if they just cut Beverly Hills the fuck off the front of that. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and this is like the Beverly Hills of this album. Like, just, no, guys, this is not the single-worthy song. This is, you know, put it in the back half or something. This is not, like, you're ruining it. <laughs> it's such a weird song for them to get particularly behind, too, you know? Like, what should we make the single in the opener? Oh, the weird fuck jam that we've never done before. Right. Yes. Right. The, the fuck jam that makes it sound like we don't know what sex is. It'd be like if they start off Ming Car with Mr. Excitement. Like, why would you do that? Don't do that. Oh, Mr. Excitement. Can't wait to shit on that track. Well, I yeah, I don't know if you guys, uh, uh, there was a teaser that was free, but I did a Ming Car debate uh, Patreon episode. So not uh, I've done several full episodes about uh, specific songs, but then I did a face-off with my friend Steve, who I've mentioned a couple times, me and him being the pro Ming Car. And Gur Samuel and Rich Jeffries being the anti-Mink Car, and we did like high school debate team style debate all nice, through nice. that album. And we ended up agreeing on a lot of stuff like, yeah, they probably could have trimmed that out, but it was uh, it, it, it was pretty fun. That's uh, one of my favorite albums, but definitely doesn't mean it doesn't have some low points. Do either of you guys have anything positive to say about SEXXY that might change my mind about the track and like have it grow on me after we put this episode out, or do you... Want to move on to the next song? If you kind of ignore the lyrics and just focus on the bass line and the strings, it's kind of a really cool arrangement. All right. And if they were yeah. singing about literally anything else, I'd probably like it more. Yeah. I do like that spoken word introduction, dressed only in clothes from her head to her toes. This is the way the talking part goes. That's fun. Very self-aware. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, is it on severe tire damage? Uh, well, there's a live version of um, SEXXY. Shit, is that a severe tire damage? Um, where he says, ah, crap, where is it? He says, this one goes out to my one true love, the ladies. It's <laughs> <laughs> just such a, you know, typical flans. Just, just, it's just perfect. This my my one true love, the ladies. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that is the intro on the oh, on this. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is on severe tire damage. That is that's definitely the one. That is just like the greatest. That's the greatest that, we'll line. be covering that one on our next episode. Then can't wait to listen to the song again for that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think the strings make it. We talked about it. We had a Patreon episode with three violinists where oh, they so talked true. about just that, just that rip up into the first, like the doo 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 doo. It's so awesome. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. The strings are the best part of the song. They're really, they're really milking Electra for all they're worth with that one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I was uh, currently like making my way through the the HBO show The Deuce, which has a Curtis Mayfield song uh, as the the song for um, the season one theme, and it's like that whole kind of um, that black exploitation era, that 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 kind of funk and soul mm-hmm. that was just full of like these cinematic string arrangements that are amazing. And this is like kind of like their attempt at that. But the lyrics are just like total white boys tripping over themselves, not not doing it, not doing it right. Like like if this song had different lyrics, it could what if, totally what if it's just fucking like, rip. This song instrumentally, but with like an Isaac Hayes over it. Sure, that works super well. 
Yeah. This could be a good mashup. Someone right. could make this. And yeah, no, I wonder what the session fees were for the Hal, Hal Cragen bass line. <laughs> The, the bass is from Iggy Pop for God's yeah. sakes. And then Linnell will like double it with that like bra, 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 like the synth doubles it sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, instrumentally great. Lyrically stupid as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, next we've got one of my like all-time favorite They Might Be Giant songs, Till My Head Falls Off. Don't interrupt me as I struggle to complete this thought. Have some respect for someone more forgetful than It's like a top 10 easily for me. It's so good. It's got such a good propulsion to it. Mm-hmm. The baseline on this one is such a driving force. That's Graham maybe um, on the bass for this album, right? Yep. I really like uh, my, my first knowledge of this song was actually from something that uh, Neil Ciceriga made, a Lemon Demon track, which was basically just using a bunch of samples. And he sampled the baseline from the, the breakdown near the end of the song. Mm. And that is where I, I knew that from. It's from a track called Chewing Gum is Really Gross. It's not good. Don't seek it out. Uh, and, and yeah, actually hearing it with a normal song was kind of weird for me. But then I really came to like it. I first encountered this song kind of by way of uh, an old Twitter Mutual's like Twitter bio. They had like listed in there, clearing my throat and gripping the lectern, I smile and face the audience. And I never knew what it was from, but then I heard this song, and I was like, oh, there's that lyric that I remember seeing in somebody's social media profile once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also sure I heard it on Malcolm in the Middle, because I did watch that show pretty religiously when I was younger. Oh, yeah. I, I might have heard it there, too. I just didn't really realize at the time. It's like, it's like, that's definitely where I heard Pencil Rain the first time, but I wouldn't know that until years later. This song is a jam, though. I really like the lyrics. Like, I feel like I relate to them a lot, even though maybe you're not supposed to, but, like, they've just got, like, such, like, a great, like, anxious neuroticism to them that really touches me. I think they were, they were saying it's like, yeah, it's it's a kind of a song about a guy who's not with it. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was, and now what's it is weird and scary to me. <laughs> It'll happen to you. No way, man. I'm going to keep rocking forever. <laughs> yeah, in the um, in the Guide to Factory showroom, they described this one as the harangue of an embattled old-timer who refuses to yield the floor. They also uh, say that it's performed at the breakneck tempo of classic New Wave. So, more credence to that. hey <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Is is this about Joe? Is is this about Joe Biden? He grips the lectern and his eye explodes. Were they predicting the future? <laughs> I love. I think one of my favorite couplets in this song is, uh, "And when I lean my head against the frosted shower stall, I see a broken figure silhouetted on the wall." Like everything about that, like the way the melody climbs, like the rhythm, especially of the silhouetted on the wall. It's just like Linnell. Let's just peak Linnell. Yeah, he's very interesting vocal stylings, like, pretty much all the time. That's kind of why people like him a lot. But that one, like, really just shows, like, you can really feel him straining for those notes. And he he does reach it, but, like, it's such a, is it was it, it is a reach to, to do that run. And it's it, it really turned out great on the record. Yeah, it sounds like, for lack of better words, epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this song covers a huge huge uh range of notes i have i have performed it live once like 10 years ago i played keyboards on this with someone i didn't sing lead but the 
yeah, the melody is just like so scale based. Like it just like keeps going up and up and up, and it reminds me a lot of climbing the walls in that fashion, which I have performed as well. And there's just some stuff in that vocally in that song where I mean I feel like I'm a pretty decent singer. I mean I teach singing as part of my day job and uh it's just like shit man that is so high yeah when he does uh, when in that song when he does like the the verse again but up a, up an octave mm-hmm. it's uh it kind of kicks your ass when you try to do that one yeah especially if you were if you were really just belting out the rest of it it's a good way to drive it home though kick it up mm-hmm. yeah hell yeah also like um what was the song on john henry i should be allowed to think i think this is a great podcasting anthem <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i love to i love yeah. to talk i I'm, i look at myself in the mirror and i don't recognize myself but i do like to say my words out and i should be allowed to <laughs> i did take a bunch of advil before we started recording this maybe i should mention that hey so did i i've been sick yeah man i coughed myself into a headache oh it's it's the freaking weekend, baby. Yeah, I think my head is going to fall off if I don't get over this fucking cold. Can't fall off till we're done, as it says in the song. Yeah. Deal. But <laughs> let's keep going. Next up, we've got How Can I Sing Like a Girl? Birds are calling to sing alone But my window's painted shut And all that year of chorus taught me is out of style and long This is the one that I think should have been the opener. I think that synth sound at the beginning would have been a great, like, first sound to hear on a record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it also feels like a classic, like, They Might Be Giant song to me. Like, this one always reads to me like it's about feeling like you have a wellspring of creativity inside you, but feeling nervous about how people re- will react to your art, which feels like a sentiment that would resonate with a lot of They Might Be Giants fans who I can easily, for some reason picture as not having a lot of confidence in themselves despite having like rich inner lives sure another song also that you can absolutely project gender feelings onto Mm -hmm. this whole album smacks of gender this whole (laughs) they overturn the overturn the the drum set at my they might be giants concert and this is why i've had people like i did the the miscellaneous trans episode like last spring yeah yeah and we talked about sexy um and I think the crew was pretty much like, let's just avoid that one. It's too... <laughs> we don't even know how to... You know, there are people that have dealt with, with gender confusion, like, their whole lives. And they're like, I don't even know what the fuck this song is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, let's not unpack that one. Yeah, and so How Can I Sing Like a Girl? Actually, uh, Mari Morton is signed up for that track. And Mari is also on... Uh, Mari was on part one, and they're going to be on part two as well. Um, I guess we're, we were debating if we were going to talk about that one on the miscellaneous trans episode because Mario was wanting, is doing the like the full episode on it, but that's like this one the crew loves, whereas SCXXY they hate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a friend just say like, yeah, no, that song. This song is kind of just a big mood. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 
Yeah, and I, I I get that. I can I can totally see how that interpretation absolutely works with this track. And we also talked about it with John Eulis and Matt Lee on the Hotel Detective episodes, which may come out before this one. I'm not sure, but because uh, yeah. on the She Was a Hotel Detective, the track from the Back to Skull EP, the one without the parentheses, She Was a Hotel Detective, um, this song was inspired, at least partially, Flan said it was inspired by him having to do falsetto to reproduce the sped up vocals on that track. So he was really working on his falsetto. And then that kind of, at least was the impetus to, to, you know, writing, how can I sing like a girl? Yeah. I mean, putting gender aside, I've, I relate to this song as somebody who's always wished I could sing in a higher voice. Like I'm a big fan of like Tom York and Neil Young, but I have like a relatively deeper voice. So I've never really been able to hit those high notes. I'm pretty good at falsetto singing when I, when I, first meet a kindergarten class at the beginning of the year i do a lot of i call it my kid voice because uh with with male music teachers most elementary music teachers are women most elementary teachers in general i'm the only man at both schools i work at and oh my god oh yeah you know so whenever you know a pickle jar needs open i (laughs) (laughs) um no but really like i'll sing uh up in in their octave because they have trouble with the octave displacement like matching my pitch if I'm singing down low. So I've got like my uh, Michael Jackson voice, you know, my get up real high. Yeah. Sing all up high. And uh, so I've gotten pretty good at falsetto just having to sing in a kindergarten range. Yeah, that makes sense. There, I don't know. There's something about the way that the, the chorus is structured that I always found kind of weird and not be stigmatized by the rest of the world. How can I sing like a, sing like a girl and not be objectified as if I were a girl? As if those are like, you know, neutral things that happen and not like part of a deeply diseased society that automatically objectifies girls. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like he's like, you know, just kind of phrasing it neutrally. It's like, well, I don't want to have that happen to me. Right. And it's not like, you know, talking about the fact that it happens at all. I don't think he thought about it that deeply. Yeah. We don't need to get rid of this. As long as it doesn't happen to me, we're, we're cool. Right. Right. And like, I don't think he thought about it that deeply, but that was something that always struck me as odd about it. Yeah. The phrasing, the phrasing. Yeah. And then also he has a whole line about raising his freak flag. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the way that lyric higher and higher refers both to the freak flag and mm-hmm. Flance's voice. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's very good. This, this is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can say yet that it's my favorite Flance song on this record, but it's uh, it's up there. It's a strong one for sure. Yeah, for sure. And next we've got uh, a pretty fun one, Exquisite Dead Guy. Exquisite Dead Guy. Rotating in his display case, exquisite dead guy. Swear I saw his mouth move. This one's the one that gets stuck in my head the most. Despite like not really being one of my favorites on the record, it will just get in there and not leave. I really want to see this one live with weird puppet heads. That which would be is apparently fun. how they perform it. Yeah, or at least they used to. I don't know if that's. Uh, I mean, the photo on the wiki of those those weird. Heads. It looks very. Ventriloquism dummy heads. It looks very old, like a very old photo. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also just a lot of songs on this album that they have not performed since the last time they did a factory show, showroom theme show. Yeah. Like till my head falls off doesn't get played anymore. That's just dumb. It's a bummer. Which is yeah. kind of depressing. Yeah. This is <laughs> another be a song. Staple. Yeah, this is another song we talked about on the strings episode because it has the cello that mm-hmm. uh, 
So the vocals do... My favorite thing about this is that it's it's Linnell starting to experiment with weird uh, harmonies. Like, in recent years, uh, people either love or hate it, him experimenting with with uh, microtones and, like, cluster chords and all these weird, like, detuned instruments and all this. Um, mostly on, like, My Murdered Remains tracks and, like, tracks that aren't, um, yeah. you know, full album tracks or whatever. And so he's got, like, these minor and major seconds, like, rather than, like, a nice, pretty-sounding third or fifth or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like this ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba. Like, the, the one... It starts out in unison, and then the one... The harmony drops, like, a half step to where it's this weird, crunchy little harmony. And then ba- Yeah, yeah, like, they're kind of weird to sing by themselves kind of harmonies. <sighs> yeah, and, and it would be hard for... Like someone who's, I mean, someone who's like a in choir and harmonizes a lot probably wouldn't have problem doing it. But most people who uh, aren't used to singing seconds in harmonies because that's not a typical right. thing to do. And then the strings do that as well. And I was talking with them. I'm like, could have, you know, I've taught orchestra before, but like, can a cello? I'm not good enough at cello to know. Could you easily? do a double stop which is where you play two strings at once with the bow could you do a second like th- like they do in the song that easily that it's just one cello track or is it two cello tracks laid over each other to do that and, and then Car- that kind of no yeah and then and then Carrie Hearn actually did it on her violin but she did it by tuning one of the strings differently than standard tuning i can't remember okay. what she did exactly but she did a cover of it um an instrumental cover all on violin, and it was pretty sweet. Oh, sick. This is one of those tracks that, for years, I kind of thought I just didn't like. I don't know if I was just, like, lumping it with a different track in my head, like Mr. Excitement or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just, like... And then I listened to it yesterday when I was doing my, my pre-podcast re-listen, and the harmonies just, like, knocked me on my ass. Like, they're real good. Oh, yeah. The harmonies are really good. I think there's a lot of good imagery in this song, too, like the exquisite dead guy rotating in his display case and hanging from a skyhook. Like, hanging from a skyhook. Really macabre stuff. And, like, some of the lyrics are, like, so just, like, evocative. Like, swear I saw his mouth move. Very creepy. Yeah, no, he was <laughs> obviously inspired by going to see Vladimir Lenin in Russia and him saying communism will win. <laughs> <laughs> And you guys know about the Exquisite Corpse uh, game, yeah. right? Yeah, that's where like you kind of write a story without knowing the last sentence that's been written, right? Or there's a way to do it with visual arts where you create a character where one person draws like the shoulders and the head, another person draws the torso, you fold the paper in threes, one okay. person draws the top half of the body or the top third, another person draws the torso, and another person draws the legs. And, you know, you know, person could put like eight legs on the thing. And then you unfold it, and then it's like this bizarre-looking... It's an exquisite corpse. Right, right. It, which sounds super fun. The name exquisite corpse really kind of just uh, hammers down how weird the word exquisite is next to dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just like, it's a very silly contrast that they're making in that title, and I really like it. My uh, semi-serious They Might Be Giants cover band is called The Exquisite Dead Guys. That's a good one. That that would also just be like a really good They Might Be Giants trivia team name. Yeah. We have a Facebook page. You could go like it. We only do just shit on occasion. Our The one dude who played guitars moved to uh, Virginia, which is kind of far from Indiana. So, 
but we uh, we're actually working on a Mesopotamians cover because they nice. were both oh, on sad. that. They, yeah, they were on that episode, and uh, so me and the so let's see, I was playing bass, and then the guy playing drums. We recorded our parts, and now our other dude just sent over his guitar track. So I got to mix that baby. Um, nice. But yeah, the exquisite dead guys. Find us uh, not all over the web, only on Facebook. In some places. We don't care that much. Yeah, we mostly would do mini sets at open mics. Like, we'd go up and we'd do three. You know, we'd do, like, James K. Polk and Particle Man, and we did Mesopotamians a lot. Um, so we're finally recording it. But it, 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 it was fun. It's a pseudo-serious band. <laughs> this one is ranked 440 out of 910. I'm interested to see it in the in the top half. That's still lower than I expected, honestly. Yeah, same. Like, coming back to it, just, like, really, really liking it. And I think I, I think a lot of people end up in the same place as me, where they just kind of think it's too weird and not enough lyrics. Yeah. I feel the same way about this one as I do about a lot of early They Might Be Giants songs, where it's, like, a little bit of an oddity that, like, I'm not into at first, but then it just keeps growing on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this one feels like it could have been on like the Pink album or something. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of falls in like the same tread as Boat of Car. <laughs> yeah, for that kind of reason. Can't wait to do that episode. <laughs> the next song though almost feels like they took a, like a concept from an old They Might Be Giants song and turned it into like a full new new wave power pop one, Metal Detector. Down at the shore, there's a place where there's no one vacationing. There's just the sound of the call of the wild Overcoming the fear of the unknown And I've got something to help you understand Something waiting there beneath the sand My metal detector is with me all of the time I'm the inspector Metal Detector, um, as I as I said, I was very much um, see Factory Showroom as kind of being the weird gray metal period that I'm not as familiar mm-hmm. with. Yeah. But um, the Else was like the first album properly came out after I became a fan. And when I bought it on CD, it came with the bonus CD, Cast Your Pod to the Wind. Um, which is, like, a good name for the Might Be Giants podcast if anyone wants to start a fourth one. <laughs> yeah, why hasn't anybody jumped on that one? <laughs> which, well, it, uh, it's, well, I actually kind of... I do love Cast Your Pots of the Wind. My Patreon, like, each level of subscription to it, I have some silly reference or whatever. Yeah. And um, I'm Your Boyfriend Now, that song. I fucking love that song. <laughs> it's the, the, the $2 tier is uh, you have to admit that I'm your podcast now. Great. Nice. So. <laughs> but yeah, so as such, I am more familiar with the live version of Metal Detector that is on the Caster Pod to the Wind, which is the one with all the horns on it. Which they've also which they also put on the other thing brass band EP. Do they do they have the horns doing like all like the micro moog stuff? Yeah, exactly. They have it instead of most of the keyboards. Nice. I really like all the synthesizer stuff on this one. I think this is a pretty cool track. It reminds me a lot of a Weezer song for some reason. I know we've already brought them up. I mean, I feel like 90s They Might Be Giants and Weezer did have a lot in common. Yeah, totally. Except that except that this song is about a guy who doesn't know what sex is. Yeah. Whereas Rivers Como. He doesn't he doesn't care about any bathing beauty dolls. He just wants to go look for sh- shit on the beach. That phrase is hilarious too bathing beauty dolls yeah yeah exactly it's it's very guy who doesn't know what sex is <laughs> this this man comes up a lot on this album and now in both a flansburg and a linnell track 
I think it feels like a worthy installment in the series of They Might Be Giant songs about like weird neurotic characters with weird quirks that kind of feels like Taylor fit to the band's dorkier fans. Like I, I really love that. Yeah. I really yeah. love that Linnell chooses to highlight in the lyrics how the character in the song's like obsession with his metal detector has actually led him to be able to like look past the more commercial touristy aspects of the beach and form like a deeper relationship with his environment. I think that's like pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Look past the squawking gull. Yeah. Yeah, I like the look past the volleyball. Look past the ball. Just ball. <laughs> Something about that's funny. Did you, do you guys know what Falderall means? I literally just looked it up because I actually do not know. Uh, trivial or nonsensical fuss. All the Falderall of the athletic contests and the cheerleaders. A showy but useless item. I had always thought, I was always confused about what that was. Why I didn't look it up, I don't know. I thought, like, in the way he was so- saying it, I think I was spelling it differently in my head. To me, it sounds like it's some sort of prescription drug. Yes, I was the exact same way. It sounds like fentanyl or something. Yeah, falderol. Yeah, like like people... Oh, God. You know, like if you go to the wrong <laughs> beach, you're going to see a bunch of empty beer cans and maybe, you know, some discarded drug paraphernalia. Discarded right? needles. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's every beach in my hometown. <laughs> Unfortunate, but true. And Well, I mean, that's, that's a good use of a metal detector. I also really like how, like, fully formed this song is. Like, a f- yeah. it feels like if this had come out, like, a few albums back, it might have just been, like, John Linnell, like, repeating the words metal detector while Flans makes, like, beeping noises or something. <laughs> like, I could see it being, like, a, a spider sort of song. But I like that it's, like, a fully-fledged, like, arranged and produced, like, power pop number. I think that's very cool. Like, there aren't enough, like, songs that could pass for normal songs that actually have, like weird dorky subject matter it's also another weird one we are another uh a weird one in how long it is s-e-x-x-y nearly gets to four minutes how can i sing like a girl gets to four and a half minutes this one almost gets to four minutes like there's all these songs like up and around the four minute mark which up to this point like exquisite dead guy it's unheard yeah exquisite dead guy at 202 or till my head falls off like just sub three minutes that's like they're standard length to this point and then all of a sudden they're just like cruising right past it on every other track yeah like this this thing has like several choruses uh, like uh, multiple bridges and verses like it's way more structure than they're used to having in their songs to be fair it also has a super long fade out which tacks on like 20 seconds yeah i do kind of feel the length on this one as much as i like it yeah Yeah, i I get that i feel it more on how can i sing like a girl i think and yeah the the length is also there with the horns versions but they do more stuff with the horns near the end instead Mm -hmm. this next song is also quite wonderful we got a cover of the cubs new york city This was a song that I did not know was a cover for like a very long time. Me neither, actually. Same. Uh, It's also one that has been featured on a lot of compilations. Like, it's one that They Might Be Giants has pushed out a lot of times. It's been played at least 848 times. Jesus. So one of their most frequently played songs in live settings. They played it live the one time I saw them. I think they've played it most of the times I've seen them, but to be fair, a lot of the times I've seen them have been in New York State. Yeah. Apparently, Flansburg also, uh, they, they did change a couple of lyrics, but apparently just because they didn't understand what they were. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I also saw Flansburg sing that the lyrics were kind of uh, incomprehensible, but then I went back to listen to the original, and I didn't think it was that bad. 
No. It's not that bad. Pretty clearly produced song. I, I, I don't think it's just because I know they're saying King Kong. When I, when I saw them live, like, 15 years ago or whatever, somebody in the, like, some dude in the audience yelled the Empire State where King Kong lives when that part of the song happened, and I never really knew it was up with that. But then I, while doing research for this episode, I saw that that was the original lyric, and it all kind of snapped into place for me a decade later. When was the last time there was a cover on a main album? Would that have been on Flood? Because I don't, I don't think Apollo 18 or John Henry have any, right? Unless you want to count the lion sleeps tonight. Eh, I wouldn't. Well, if you... Okay, well, if you count EPs, the Why Does the Sun Shine? Right. Yeah, that was around this time, huh? Yeah, it was before this, yeah. I mean, it was in between this and uh, Flood. What was that, 93? That EP? Something like that. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like, they've covered a lot of songs just, like, on a lark you know, like live or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a, a couple have crept onto albums in more casual fashion, like Bills, Bills, Bills on Phone Power or, yeah. uh, you know, t- uh, Tub Thumping on, um, or whatever the fuck, the Chumbawamba song on... Uh, it was Tub Thumping. Uh, album Raises New and Trouble. Yeah, yep. yeah. I just couldn't remember if that was the title because it's not <laughs> called I Get Knocked Down, which, you know, would make more sense. Um, yeah. But they've got these few covers that they just, like, are pretty much people see as their songs at this point like nobody's listening to the four lads version of istanbul no 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 not at all it's very well i mean like what from what they say um and from also what i read in the 33 and a third book about flood is that a lot of the covers in their early career were literally just to pad their set lists because they were playing a lot of really long sets which makes sense right but this one just seems like like they heard the flans heard the song and was like oh this song rips let's play it but like, yeah, how often yeah, are you yeah. seeing like a you know a punky new wave band from New York covering a, a '90s Vancouver girl band <laughs> whose uh, yeah, genre honestly, whose yeah, genre honestly, is listed as cuddlecore? Yeah, yeah, cub cub are great. I think <laughs> I think this is you know if you if you stack it against Istanbul, why does the sun shine? And this is probably their most performed covers. Yeah. Um, this is probably the most like the original out of any of the other ones. And yeah, I'm not no, it's very, it's, straight, identical. it's very straightforward. Yeah, but like obviously Istanbul, their version is way different than the Four Lads vocal version, and the Why Does the Sunshine is way different than the old educational song version. So mm-hmm. this one, just in the fact that it's like the same tempo, the same driving, I mean, maybe not exactly the same, but pretty just like pumped up rock song. You know, they do their their you know slightly less fuzzy arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very similar. Yeah, I think Flan said that yeah. they added some more New York new wave into the mix. Mm-hmm. The bells are really good. Oh yeah, I really, really, I always really like. Yeah. I don't love bells in songs, but I feel like whenever they might be giants, use them. They really get away with it. I I think it's just because they know when to use them. They're not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. It's also just really funny for a band from New York City to cover a band from Vancouver singing about New York City, and I feel like that's part of the choice. Totally. As it's like a really like a wistful Canadian song about meeting your love in New York City, and then just you know a couple of New York City guys singing it. It's just it's a little tongue in cheek that way. Right, and I could be wrong, but I think Flans is usually the one to pick the covers. They that would do. make sense to me. He does sing this one. Yeah, so. and Flans is the guy in the band that I I I think this would be accurate, or maybe I'm just projecting this onto him that. You know, he is like the outspoken, he's the the extrovert of the band. Yeah. The business end of the band. 
he does a lot of the artwork stuff where I think Linnell is just happy to just like just write a shitload of songs. Yeah, you yeah. Know, not worry about not worry about the other stuff. That tracks for me. And yeah. I will say I will give Flans like a huge huge uh, props for just excellent cover choice selection. Like they're not. I mean, like, with the exception of, like, Bills, 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 which was is just, like, kind of silly, and, yeah, it was a huge hit. They're picking these, like, deep cuts. Mm-hmm. I also, it's like, Flans always struck me as the guy who actually listens to new music. Right. Which never, Linnell never struck me like that. Yeah, it's like Flans <laughs> is the pop culture guy, and Linnell just kind of lives in his own world almost. Yeah, that, that's, that's always how it seemed to me. Yeah, and there are benefits to each of those kind of approaches. So it's they, they make a good team that way. Mm-hmm. There was a point where I was talking to Julian Coster, who will come up later, um, and he's kind of the same way in that, like, it's he just hasn't listened to anything new in years, and that's a, and he's he's talking about how much he would just listen to Lincoln in the car when they were touring with Neutral Milk Hotel, and that tracked so well for me. I just noticed that Brian Doherty is not the drummer on this track; it is Steve Calhoun, who was the drummer for Monopuff. Oh. Let's see what else did he appear on. I don't see any other. I think it's just yeah. His actual like act actual they might be giants track. Otherwise, it's all monopod. I wonder why that's. I wonder why that is. Maybe I should text Brian Doherty right now and ask him. It does seem like these sessions are kind of cobbled together from different periods of the band as well, right? I I mean this one. I feel like this one is a pretty singular album. Like it says they recorded it at a couple different studios. But it's not like Long Tall Weekend, like I was saying, where it's like half Brian and half, yeah, and half Dan Hickey and then a couple drum machine ones. I mean, it's that one's very cobbled together. I think Factory Showroom, again, probably because they were part of the major label, uh, you know, machine at that point. It's like, write a new album, record the new album, put it out, do the tour, all that like regular standard band rock band 90s album cycle thing very appropriately titled record definitely <laughs> yeah did, did you guys see what the working title of this was i did there were a couple right and i thought like some of them were pretty good the only one that's listed on the wiki is just crap <laughs> in uh, in june 1996 john flansberg put out a press release saying the album is going to be out in december the title won't be chimp or at large and might be Boro Wide or my current favorite, Factory Showroom. I really like At Large. I think that's a great name for a They Might Be Giants record. They used it later. Oh, did they? They used it as a live album. If you if you notice, that is a link. Oh, yeah, look at that. Learning stuff while the episode happens. God, they put, they put Santa's beard on that. They sure did. I've, I've, I've always been really hungry for a live version of Santa's beard. Yeah, and I don't know if there's much else to say about this song. Like, it's 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 a good one. I do see a lot of hate for it. What? Apparently not on this wiki because it's at 236. I, some people just don't like it. I guess lyrically it's it's very like silly and childish, but that's kind of the appeal of it for me. The chorus kind of wears on me a bit. Like it doesn't feel like it has like a lot like as much to chew on as other they might be giant songs. It's just like, "Hey, we're in New York and it's great." Yeah, it's like 10 seconds But long, I really though. like the verses. I think those like all paint like pretty vivid pictures. I just heard back from Brian Doherty, you ready? <laughs> I said, oh, we just noticed that you didn't drum on the New York City cover. It was Steve Calhoun. Why wasn't it you on this track? Do you remember? He said, hi, yes, you are correct. He was playing with Flans on Monopuff, and he just really loved that song. So he just did it. And I said, so he just jumped on it because he loved it so much? He said, no, Monopuff was playing it as a cover in Monopuff shows. Okay. Because Flans loved it. They recorded it as a Monopuff cover. 
but then Linnell did some overdubs and it became a They Might Be Giants song. Very interesting. Oh, that is very interesting. The scoops. I love it. That is actually kind of where I thought it would go. Wow. Because, yeah, no, it, it, it does seem to fit Monopuff very well. And, yeah, John Linnell's contributions are mostly overdubs, so. Wow. Man. That's a scoop. That's a That's a premium scoop yeah dude you heard it here first you heard it straight from the source i'm glad we got that within the still talking about that song we didn't have to cut back in for it totally it's good that we had that diversion about working titles (laughs) but with that behind us let's move on to your own worst enemy it's your own worst enemy ringing the bell on the door and the person inside says nobody's home so your own worst enemy Love this song. This one's very cool. And another one that feels like it could have been on like the Pink Album or something. Or Lincoln, maybe. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Own Worst Enemy is the self, right? We all got that? Mm-hmm. Right. This is another one that uh, the Exquisite Dead Guys have covered at Open Mic Nights. And when I played it, I brought this little $1 Yamaha keyboard that uh, I bought at a yard sale um, to play it on because I, I thought it needed to be something just really rinky-dinky. To, mm-hmm. to match this track. It is a very, uh, well, I mean, it's entirely John Linnell, except for there's cello on it that's played by Gary Yellen, who has been on a lot of tracks, especially on this record. But lead vocal, backup vocal, organ, synthesizer, it's all John Linnell, and I'm assuming wow. he did the little drum machine programming. That's That seems to be the, the if, if it's written by Linnell... With a drum machine, he did the drum machine. If it's written by Flance, he did the drum machine, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, it almost seems kind of appropriate that a song that's like so introspective is one where he does all the instrumentation for it. I like that too. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that works very well. It's also, it's one that has not been played since 1999. Boo. That doesn't surprise me. It's sad though. I think my favorite part of uh, this song are the lyrics, um, full bottle in front of me, time to roll up my sleeves and get to work. And after many glasses of work, I get paid in the brain. Fucking love it. Precious and few are the moments you and your own worst enemy share. So good. Those brief moments of clarity where your brain is in harmony with itself. It's a very, it's a very self-destructive, like very, it's kind of a sad song. It's very sad. It's classic Linnell. It's like a don't let start style, Mm -hmm. you know, it like the melody will get stuck in your head and then you realize you're singing like the most depressing thing ever. <laughs> you're literally just singing about depression, self-destruction and alcoholism. Yeah. Thanks, Linnell. But like if people just listen to it on the surface to be like, that's funny. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, I guess the guy with the messed up face is referring to a specific person. It's chess piece face. It's chess piece face. Chess piece face. It's all connected. Singer in the 70s band Climax. And the song referenced in your own worst enemy is a song called Precious and Few by that by that band. That that's just that's a reference that's one hundred percent lost on me. Yeah. So Do you get the references in this next song though? XTC versus Adamant. Oh yeah.
very much don't. I'm very unaware of both bands. Really? Man. I've, I've never really listened to XTC much, but I have like a friend who's really into them. I know they've got some good stuff. He's always recommending Skylarking to me. Yes. It's supposed to be a great album. That's the first one to get. Yeah. The only thing I know about Adam Ant is that Goody Two Shoes song, which I like quite a bit, actually. I think that one's kind of a jam. I, I would say that XTC is, is definitely going to win this battle. They are definitely the better band. And yeah, I mean, they definitely seem like they have more of a legacy. For sure. I mean, that, that's kind of the point of the song is that it doesn't matter, though, right? We need both. It's like Beatles versus Rolling Stones or whatever. Like There is no right or wrong. Exactly, right? Um, but there is, in this case, XTC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like, I don't know, the pairing has never really made much sense to me. They existed in the same time period, I guess. I guess. Maybe this is something that Flans thought about in his high school days. Possibly. Or, col- or college. The contrast yeah. between the two seems striking, and while a bit of, doing a bit of press to promote the tribute album, we cooked up this song. Because they played on a XTC tribute record. Oh. Okay. So I guess that's that's why it came up. What song did they cover? Uh, they covered 25 O'Clock by the Dukes of Stratosphere, which is a psychedelic alter egos of XTC. Of course, um... The Flans would pick a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Flans got to yeah, go with yeah. the deep cut. He's not gonna pick. He's not gonna pick a hit. Even though they have covered "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah. <laughs> way back in the day. <laughs> this one's never really landed for me 100% of the way, though. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's kind of like too slow and plodding for my taste. Three minutes and 37 seconds, and it's not a fast one. Feels longer. Feels longer. I think it's just the pace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's length and there's pace. Right. I think I think with this one, again, it could almost be almost like not as bad as SCXXY, but the arrangement is like peak major label budget recording. I mean, and not only does it have pretty stuff like strings, it also has that ripping solo by Eric uh, Scher- Schirmerhorn. I think. Wait, am I getting it right? That like just wacky like on the verge of feedback solo at the beginning like that yeah it's it's amazing yeah it's eric Shermerhorn who has played with um he's worked with iggy pop and he is toured with david bowie so this like the dude knows what he's doing and he they, they got two iggy pop guys on this yeah song. and it, he just skirts that line between like pretty and like chaotic with that guitar solo it's just incredible mm-hmm. guitar solo and it's so like raw and dirty but then we've got strings coming in like the arrangement on the song is impeccable and yeah the, the lyrics don't really go anywhere because it's it really just it, it puts you in the there is no right or wrong up front it's not really making any argument for either of them the whole time it's saying that people can't make a decision but also there's no right answer like it doesn't really it doesn't really say anything at all but it's another one where... It, if there's no point to it, what's the point of the song? The point is that there's no point. The point is that there's no fight. The point is that there's no comparison that's necessary. I mean, I think the one place I might go with it, and this is something I'm just like spitballing off the top of my head here, is that it might kind of go in the vein of... Um, well, if you think about like Devo, Freedom of Choice, the song. And mm-hmm. the song... Are you guys familiar with the song? Yeah. Freedom of choice is what you want. Freedom of choice is what you got. But then by the last chorus, it turns into freedom from choice is what you want. Freedom from choice is what you've got. So I think this song, and it's maybe a bit of a stretch, but it's kind of like you've got all these choices with music, and um, 
you you might argue about it and you might think this kind of thing is important, but really just like the radio is feeding you both of these bands in the eighties at least. Okay. These are the these are the big hits. This is these are the big bands. They're popular. You think you have some sort of choice and you have to decide between XTC and Adamant or whatever other topic or bands. Um, but really you're just you just like what everyone else likes and you don't want to have to work for it. <laughs> I can see that. It's like kind of a don't get up your own ass about it kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That yeah, that thought probably didn't come out as smoothly as if I had come up with it before we started recording, but that just kind of occurred to me that that it's about something that you don't really have to make a choice. You feel like it's important, but uh, it's really not. Well, well, welcome to the style in which we do all of our episodes, which is where we just kind of think of things as they happen. We've come up with some pretty cool revelations that way. Yeah, th- that's why I like, uh, well, I like having a different guest on each episode because people will come in and they're the ones that pick the song. My guest picks the song for their episode. Mm-hmm. So they come in already having like deeply thought about it and they have some interpretation that's usually way different than mine, which is really what makes it interesting. Yeah, that's how you, that's that's kind of how you have to do it. If you're if you're all coming in with the same stuff, then you're not really going to have a discussion. That's why I usually I usually come in without notes. I just listen to it a couple of times because I feel like that that puts me in a more primed position to uh, to kind of be on the fly with it. I typically over prepare the shit out of my notes, so I think we balance each other out pretty well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Trevor's doing that, and so and so I prepare less. <laughs> me and you use the uh, the Larry King approach. <laughs> Who is this band? Wait a minute. John something and other John something. I don't even know who's who. So we're coming into another long one with this next track. Yeah, this is also another one of my very favorite They Might Be Giants songs, Spiraling Shape. Fogging the view, cupping face to the window in darkness, you make out a spiraling shape. Putting a reason aside, you exchange what you got for a thing that's hypnotic and strange. The spiraling shape will So I made a tweet about this song yesterday, and Trevor, you said that I was spoiling your discussion topics. Yeah, because that was exa- <laughs> like exactly what I was going to say about the song, and exactly what I've always thought about it. It has always really reminded me of Uzumaki, the horror manga series by Junji Ito, which I read in college and like has stuck with me ever since, just because of how like visually disturbing it is. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. It's like <laughs> this. It's like a short horror manga about this like small town in Japan that becomes obsessed with these like strangely occurring spirals and they like become hypnotized by them and eventually their bodies start morphing into spirals it's really wow. fucked up body horror stuff was it inspired by this song then? It, it did come out after this album came out it's possible and so it's possible also it prominently features uh people turning into snails so maybe he was listening to john henry too he might have been listening to a lot of They Might Be Giants at the time. It takes a truly twisted mind to listen to They Might Be Giants and turn it into body horror, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I, was, uh, I was tweeting about the song saying that uh, the person doing the music for the Uzumaki anime series that's about to air, um, which is Colin Stetson, a very prolific uh, saxophonist. He's done... Uh, he did Hereditary score, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. so he's done, a, he's done a lot of like recent movie scores because he just makes uncomfortable sounding stuff that's very well suited to horror he's got one of those like perfect breathing rhythms that allows him to play notes consistently for like 15 minutes straight Mm. with that that good circular breathing technique 
and does a lot of percussion like on his sax itself. So he, it sounds like he's playing four instruments when he's just playing one. And I said that he should take his style and cover Spiraling Shape for the soundtrack of this series. I don't know what it would sound like. But I'm sure it would be great. But that's my that's my weird cover suggestion of the month. Because <laughs> I always got to have one. Yeah, we always need one per episode. This song is like a fucking jam, though. I feel like I get just as strong a story and just like as clear a picture of what it's talking about as I do from like the entire Yuzumaki uh, graphic novel. Like it's such a strong piece of storytelling. Yeah, it's very it's very visual in its language. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to uh, Marianne McTrow was the guest on my episode of Spiraling Shape. And we're, we're getting to the portion of the album. The next five songs, four of them I've done episodes on already. Great. And nice. she does an excellent ukulele cover of Spiraling Shape for the episode. Have you guys heard uh, Rocket Ship? Yeah. Yes, I looked it up upon learning that they originally used the chorus for this in that, like while preparing for this episode. Yeah, it's really bizarre listening to Rocket Ship being so familiar with Spiraling Shape, this full studio final version, for so long. It doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. It's like a weird, it totally doesn't fit that song. It's just like... Two two songs jammed together. Yeah, it's like they it's like you play like thirty seconds of some B side and then spiraling shape like just cuts in. Yeah, it's really weird. People apparently like it enough that it uh, that rocket ship ranks at two thirty one out of nine ten. What? That's bizarre. Enough people like it. I mean, it only has thirty six ratings, so that's definitely some uh, low count bias on that one. Yeah. Uh, spiraling shape, on the other hand, is at number fourteen, which puts it at the the second highest on this album. Which which tracks? Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. I'm expecting once the Uzumaki anime is out that someone is going to set it to this song. You could absolutely just use the imagery from from the sh- you could probably use the imagery from the comic or from the show and make it work with the lyrics of this song. For all of the really cool complex lyrics, my favorite part of the song is actually "Go ahead, wreck your life." That might be good. <laughs> Who can say what's wrong or right? Nobody can. Yeah. <laughs> I also just really like the. Uh, the everyone wants to see that groovy thing. <laughs> everyone wants to see that thing. It's so good. I was just going to bring that up, and I'm totally, I'm positive that Linnell is using the word groovy in an ironic fashion because these guys, like we're saying, like they're totally punk dudes, you know, new wave or post punk or whatever. Mm hmm. These guys, I'm sure they listen to some psychedelic and, you know, quote unquote hippie music. But groovy is not a word in their vernacular. So I think using it was like kind of like just Linnell being silly. Like it's it's a great reductive, ironic way to refer to something that is clearly capable of like hypnotizing you and driving you to insanity. Like yeah. that groovy thing. What it reminded me of when I originally was hearing this song is their use of the word groovy makes me think of the bumpers in the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> because they always have like weird spirally shapes in the background that they're all dancing in front of. Yeah, And sure. also Austin Powers very much says the word groovy a lot. That's probably what they were like purposely trying to invoke. That kind of like 60s kind of like spiral psychedelia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then later they did the Dr. Evil song. They did indeed do the Dr. Evil song. Yep. This does predate Austin Powers. There's connections everywhere. There's connections everywhere. Hey, how about the fuck vibraphone solo in this song yeah steve light on, his, <laughs> on the vibraphone he's really adding a lot to the song god there. damn yeah really good again they're really Some they're really getting their play. money out of the the st- session musicians on this album yeah mm-hmm. yeah you got to go to a major label studio for them to have a vibraphone laying around i mean vibraphones are like probably like five thousand dollars like minimum and uh 
you know, you could probably rent one for like, you know, a couple hundred a day, but they had the money to do it. So there you go. Thanks, Electra. And that's another another Eric Schemmerhorn on the lead electric guitar. Yeah. Not not quite going as crazy on this one, but he's still there. Mm-hmm. So next we've got kind of like a sequel to James Enzer from the last album almost, James K. Polk. In 1844, the Democrats were split. The three nominees for the presidential candidate were Martin Van Buren. Former president and an abolitionist, James Buchanan, a moderate, Lewis Cass, a general and expansionist. From Nashville came a dark horse riding up. He was James K. Polk, Napoleon of the Stone. The second of the John's historical James songs. <laughs> Do they have another historical James song? It feels like they should fill out a trio. I kind of like there being one for each John, though. And I think there's something about Flansburg's historical James song being about a reclusive artist who painted skeletons and Linnell's being about an obscure American president. That feels very right. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know why, but when I was thinking about James that they could write a song about, like, how about James Hetfield? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> The Johns write a song about how pirating music is actually good. I really like that. Okay, so the song was co-written with a childhood friend, Matthew Hill. Uh, It was originally a B-side, so this is one of the older tracks on the album, although it was very much re-recorded for this album. With Julian Coaster on the singing saw. Julian Coaster on the fucking singing saw. I actually actually emailed his agent and tried to get him on this episode. Yeah, I've been trying to get him on a uh, This Might Be a Podcast episode. I'm a huge fan of him. I've actually been... I actually play the singing saw. Nice. And uh, I could demonstrate it for you on air if you'd like. Oh, fuck yes. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, I'll have to, yeah, uh, it's it's down here with me. But I've been in Neutral Milk Hotel cover bands uh, on two separate occasions playing uh, his role, basically. Yeah. Accordion, uh, saw, Banjo. that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and when it dawned on me that this, because I, I knew about They Might Be Giants before Neutral Milk. I didn't get into Neutral Milk while they were still active. I yeah. got into them a little after you know, maybe like five years after they'd broken up while I was in college, because they're another band you get into when you're in college. Yeah, I mean, very much really so. weird band. Yeah, they have songs about Anne Frank. And <laughs> then when I found out that he was the Saw player, I'm like, holy hell, like these two bands that I love. Yeah, when I found that out, I'm like, this makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. You want me to grab the Saw? Oh, hell yes. All right, let's take my headphones off. Okay. So what I have is a tenor singing saw it is actually made for this purpose I started learning saw on uh, just an old saw I got at a uh, antique store but the key is that it needs to be really thin too thin to really successfully cut wood right because you, you have to like bend it into an S right yeah the trick is that you, you like if you see someone playing it you can see that they're bending it so I put the handle um, between my legs with the, the pointy part Towards uh, my my tender bits, <laughs> but it's really it's, it's really not all that sharp. It's not made to be for cutting wood, but it does have, you know, the sawtooth edge. They want it to look like a saw, and so you bow on the flat edge and you bend it. Uh, you're mainly it's definitely kind of a uh, uneven looking S yeah. because you're mainly curving it towards the ground. 
but then you put your thumb on it. Sometimes you can you can actually attach a handle to this. There's a, a hole in it. You can put like a dowel rod type handle on it. You curve it just up just the slightest bit at the end. There she is. Ah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> so let me see. Hold on. Let me get the right key here. We are in, uh, let's see, B flat major. Really, I didn't remember that. Let's see. Let me give myself a B flat and then I can play the, uh, here. Hell yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It's like an old sci-fi movie. It's the kind of theremin you don't need to plug in. I know I know whenever there's saw stuff that people will mistake it for a theremin because they do have very they have they have very similar like resonances to them. So there you go. Do you just want to keep doing that in the background of the entire episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm interested in how they found him for this. Cause like basically all that was out with him on it was um Dusk at Cubist Castle by uh, the Olivia Tremor Control. Would that would have him on it? Was uh, Avery Island not out? In, Avery Island came out in '96 as well. He he never played on that one though. That's true. You're right. He played on Aeroplane and he played on uh, he played on the on Engine, which was on the Ferris Wheel on Fire EP eventually, but was just like a general neutral milk hotel b-side that's all over the place on the well you gotta wonder how many singing saw players are there yeah yeah um one thing i really like about james k polk is how they kind of they wrote the song and then eventually they kind of read into him more and they're like oh this guy fucking sucks (laughs) yeah i have a quote uh from one of the johns saying we were sitting around talking about obscure presidents in history and whether they were actually as unimportant during their own time and the name james k polk came up and we looked him up and found that he was actually a pretty important guy he started a trumped-up war with Mexico. He supported Manifest Destiny. Basically, he was a real bastard. <laughs> so I got to give a shout-out to my guests on this episode, which uh, just was dethroned as the longest... J- the Someone Keeps Moving My Chair episode just dethroned the James K. Polk episode as the lengthiest. This might be a podcast episode. Uh, my friend Dan Brooks and Steve Clark, again, I'm bringing him up again, one of my best friends uh, and college roommate. We're on the James K. Polk episode, and my friend Steve is, um, he, he's like the one friend where we're like, I could see him going into politics. Like, he's actually a, a lawyer. So he, he's, he's good at talking, you know? And my friend Dan is very chatty as well. So we talked at great length about, like, the actual politics of James K. Polk and how much he did for the country where I think at the time people were like, this is important stuff. He made the country bigger, uh, the treasury, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you look back on it and well, I mean, at the time he was president, people were fucking racist and, uh, people, you know, didn't care about screwing over anyone. It, it, they didn't even think twice about it. So they're like, yeah, this guy's uh, he's a pretty solid president. And you look back and you're like, this guy fucking blows. People generally realize that colonial expansion is bad now, whereas then it would have been seen as good. I think that really comes down to it. Right. I'm so happy he seized the whole Southwest from Mexico. I like that the this might be a wiki article also deigns to point out the points where it is not historically accurate, which I think is very funny. They've always been good at going back and correcting themselves when they get stuff wrong. Don't they do like a new version of... Uh... Uh, why does the sun shine? Yeah, the sun is a miasma of incandescent plasma. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. It's very good. Um, and apparently, I, I think I think some of these he actually 
uh, they'll work into lyrics when they sing it live now. Yeah, I read that too. They did that on like an NPR performance famously. Yeah. If you're going to do it anywhere, it's NPR. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that made that episode so long was that Steve did go over like line by line how accurate each part was. <laughs> it's like he did, he didn't actually build the treasury; he reestablished it or something. I don't even remember. Yep, that's one of the notes I have. Yeah, this was this was always the the linchpin in my theory that they should eventually make a "Here Comes the Presidents." Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, historical yeah. album. Yeah, and they could they could call it "Here Come the Presidents," or they could make it an adult album and say, "Here are some bastards." Just really, really lay, just really lay it down. So, do you guys know the name of the Giants track, uh, "The Tip Canoe" and Tyler Two? It was from a compilation. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if they were playing it on the "I Like Fun" tour at every date, or if it was just for Indiana's benefit. Because uh, William Henry Harrison, uh, we live in. I live in Tippecanoe County, in Indiana. I'm pretty sure I heard it. Okay. On my on my show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the wiki article and confirm it because they do have the set list for all the shows I've been to. Yes. Yeah, so I saw them in Indianapolis, and they played these two songs right in a row. And Linnell basically prefaced it. He's like, "These next two songs are about assholes," <laughs> <laughs> which was perfect. And I wasn't sure if Tip Canoe and Tyler Two was just for our benefit as Hoosiers. Yeah. Phoenix Phoenix Theater, 2018, November second. Um, I was at that show, and they did indeed play it there. Okay, so they were just playing it on the tour. It, it does yeah. seem like it was on most of this tour, judging by how close all these numbers are together. Did you guys read on the wiki that, according to the commentary for the Gigantic DVD, Linnell is actually related to James K. Polk somehow? Do you buy that? I mean, that tracks. I mean, I well, well every, every U.S. president except for one can trace their lineage to a king of England. Right, huh. Never heard that. They, they have their they have their roots laid pretty deep. It's everyone except for Martin Van Buren. Actually, Polk was born in North Carolina. Lived in Tennessee most of his life. I mean, I guess you know all the East Coast are. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's possible. He's like a distant great 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 uncle or something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not going to be anything like you know that you'd call you. He's probably like not like a direct lineal descendant or anything. A direct lineal descendant. Right. He's in the background of some old family photo they've got at the <laughs> Linnell house. Doing something horrible, no doubt. Annexing Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so we can move on now to pet name. Yes. You gave me a pet name, which is not to say I like it. We met at a party, not to say I was. Another great flange track. I really enjoy this one a lot. This is like probably in my like top five on the record. This is this is one of the ones that actually got like a pretty decent uh, pull for the Hello Radio compilation, a compilation which I am not generally very nice to. Yeah, I, I heard you talk about uh, yeah, but they got the long they got the long winters for this. You talked one. about that end of the tour uh, cover. You're like, I like that one, and I listened to it maybe more than the original, which I totally don't buy. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, it, 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 it happens. 
It happens when I'm sh- when I'm I on see. shuffle a lot. I could almost see it working pretty well as a closer for the album. Sure. Yeah, I really like the bells are ringing as a closer, but I can also see it. I can see it working. As like I, I said, that token back to Brooklyn also works as a closer. Mm-hmm. So I think they just yeah. write good closers. Mm-hmm. We know this. <laughs> I like the description of the song that the Johns gave too, which uh, is this song is about a slightly sleazy couple with a tenuous relationship to each other and a suspect relationship to the world. So what's the sleaziness? I never got sleazy out of this couple. <laughs> I get those vibes. So scanning through it. The only thing, if I'm going to read into it with a sleazy perspective, you work at a hotel at the magazine concession. Back in just five minutes, reads the sign above your station. Is she ducking out for them to, like, bang in the coat closet or something? Maybe. I mean, it's followed immediately by slip your profits in a bag, <laughs> which also just seems sketchy. We met at a party, not to say I was invited. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I can get sleazy. Lo- I, I would go with sketchy, but I don't know if that's, like, a word that would be a word they'd use. Or, okay, so then Flan says, a suspect relationship to the world. So that's kind of ignoring social cues. Like, you don't just show up to someone else's party. I could see this song being about, like, a, like two con men in love. Yeah, no, this is, it's a great, yeah, this is a, let's, it's, it's a great song. Uh, I can't wait to record the episode on it. Uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. You guys want to move on to I Can Hear You? I Can Hear You by They Might Be Giants, made at the Edison Laboratory. I can hear you, just barely hear you, I can just barely hear you. This track was recorded at the Edison Historic Site in West Orange, New Jersey. Shout out. Nerds! I feel like I did not remember that the Wax Museum recording is the one that's on the album. Like, I remember hearing a Wax recording version elsewhere, like, because I think they did another one at some point. Yeah, did that end up on Long Tall Weekend or something? Maybe. They did the Edison Museum. Uh, the song they wrote about the Ed- Edison Museum got recorded on Wax Cylinder, and then they re-recorded it for No. Okay. Um, yeah, so that one's all Proper the studio version. Yeah. But yeah, no, I feel it's, like there's something else. It's, it is wild that they put a wax, a wax recording on their album. Yeah, I have a quote where they talk about recording it. They say... We performed this and other songs in front of a small audience, singing and playing acoustic instruments as loud as we could into a pair of enormous metal cones, the larger of which was perhaps 12 feet long, which fed the sound into a hundred-year-old non-electrical recording device created by Thomas Edison in the 1890s. The wax cylinder recorder carves a groove into a rotating tube of softened wax with a needle that is vibrating from the sound pressure collected at the small end of the cone. Apparently, it looked very cool. Well, you can watch them do it on the Daily Show uh, Millennium special. Yeah, I didn't know that until I saw it here. I didn't really have time to watch it. But yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. I'll have to check that out. They do it. They actually, I mean, it looks like they're recording it there. I mean, that's not the album version. This was obviously four years later. But it looks like they're demonstrating how they would have done it because there's a guy there operating the thing. They're doing it into the horn. I wonder if like, because like this, this very much sounds like they just put the the machine into a room and played it back to some live mics. I'd really like to see if they put, if they made like some kind of analog to digital hookup or like recorded it like straight from the wax onto some like master tapes or something. If it would sound different or less crackly or if that crackle is like inherent to the medium, which it probably is. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That shit, they, they wear out really quickly. Like, um, Another super... They probably this, don't still have this one, is what you're no, saying. No, yeah. The, the, this was another super long episode. My guest on this episode was Franz Nikolai from The Hold Steady. Nice. 
Yeah, and he uh, is very knowledgeable about music history, and uh, his wife is an ethnomusicologist, and he is very much into... We talked quite a bit about accordion, uh, the cultural and class implications that, that go along with playing the accordion and it being the working man's instrument and all of this, mm-hmm. uh, like, historically how it was a not considered a classy instrument. Um, mm-hmm. And so we also talked in depth about the wax cylinder stuff. And, you know, we, we, you know, there was quite a bit of research done on that. But again, this was like almost a year ago. And my brain is, is you know, I record new episodes and it shoves the other ones out of my brain. Um, Naturally. But I would recommend that people go and listen to that episode. It is definitely one of my favorites. And whenever people are like, uh, do I need to start episode one? I'm like, not necessarily, you know, it's not a serialized podcast, but this Franz Nikolai, I can hear you is definitely up at the top of one of my favorite episodes that I've done. It's, uh, quite thorough. I, on the other hand, don't have a lot to say about this one as a song, but I feel like I'm glad that it's here because it kind of completes the picture of like this era of they might be giants like the factory showroom kind of mm-hmm. year or whatever you want to call it I yeah. also like recording it on a wax cylinder like in getting that old ancient equipment there's no way that was cheap no <laughs> running it running up the studio album costs yet again yeah, uh, oh, yeah. also i just like the idea of a song that's kind of that kind of comes through low fidelity and they have to like blare the instruments into it is called i can hear you that is very good and i feel like they know exactly what they were doing with that one yeah oh yeah it's it's another one. It, it kind of goes right along with the next track we're going to talk about as it fitting together perfectly lyrically and musically. Like, the two go hand in hand. Like, there's no way... I mean, so yeah, they recorded a bunch of songs, or a handful of songs on the wax cylinder like we were talking about. Um, but this one, it's... They literally go hand in hand. Like, it's 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 obviously intentional that it's a song about places where it's hard to hear someone and it's a recording that's hard to hear so we're coming into that closing track on the album now the bells are ringing the bells are ringing the song they're singing the sound is bringing the people around they hear the instructions they follow directions they travel great distances to the sound the bells are ringing the song they're singing the bells are ringing the same they're singing the sound is bringing they hear the instructions they follow by the music of the bells they're not responsible for anything they do the people know the way to go the bells are ringing they hear the sound this song has only been performed twice that doesn't surprise me it feels like it would be a rough song to be able to pull off live so I talked about this with uh, Brian Doherty this is his episode which will be airing in a couple of weeks Um, or when people are hearing this it's probably already up so, Brian Doherty, who played drums on this, um, I asked him about that. I said, what is the deal? People love this song. It is r- ranked 48 out of 910. 48? That is, like, higher than most other tracks. Yeah. I'm like, why weren't you guys playing this? Like, what's the deal? And he's like, he honestly wasn't quite sure. And he's like, dude, that was a long time ago. Like, there were a couple times where he's like, I honestly don't remember. I'm like, yeah, you know... Just because he was in the band doesn't he re- it doesn't mean he remembers. I don't remember conversations I had in 1996. You know, 
yeah, not, not to mention just like the internal band politics over playing a song or not playing a song. I imagine is given the way that the, the Johns are in the band, probably not even a discussion that other members of the band are necessarily privy yes, to. Yes, that's, yeah. Like they might just get the set list and say, learn this. Right. And so the two times it was performed were post Brian's era. So they performed it once with Dan Hickey in 1997, and they performed it once with Marty in 2008. Because I, I, I asked Brian, I'm like, the two performances, like, I guess I didn't realize that he was already out by this 97 date. I'm like, did yeah. you play this live? And he's like, I don't think so. <laughs> and then I clicked over. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was you were out of the band by December 97. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, 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 there's there's probably some gaps in the 90s set lists just by the nature of information. Yeah. But like. I'm sure he. I'm not. I'm not gonna say. I'm, I'm sure he'd remember playing it. But at the same time, it's like, he. If 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 it was only played a very select number of times, then probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the bong 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 bong. You know, very very Christmas bells. And uh, I really really like the effect. I think they could do. They probably could play this without someone saying the bongs out loud. Oh, yeah. But it wouldn't be the same. Like, that's kind of half the fun. Yeah, I performed this at the same set I was telling you guys about earlier with Till My Head Falls Off. I played keyboards on it, and so I played it. I was I was basically just joining this already formed band up on stage for this single, this one-off show. And uh, the guy's girlfriend sang the bum-bum-bums, and I doubled them on just like a kind of chiming synth sound. And uh, it went pretty well. So, like, They Might Be Giants have only performed it twice. I've performed it once, so I've performed it 50% as much as the band. <laughs> <laughs> so Amanda uh, Homie is how you pronounce it. I wasn't sure until Brian confirmed, uh, is the one who does the bell vocals. And she has not been on any other They Might Be Giants tracks, but she is someone that Brian uh, actually knew. And Nice. This 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 album does have just a couple of you know single use guest musicians because Julian Coster's also never been on any other they might be giant stuff. That's true. As much as he is a huge fan of the band, and I'm sure he would. Bell's organ is good though. I kind of like the subject matter of the song a little more than I like what's going on musically in it. It feels like a kind of a, a good second take on the same kind of stuff that Spiraling Shape was about. Mm. Maybe with a little less humor. Yeah, they they sure love their songs about hypnotism, huh? Yeah, and this was another one that I actually on. The episode with Brian and I brought up the Devo song again because I was like, this is one that could also be related to just not wanting to have to think for yourself. Like people mm-hmm. think that they want freedom, uh, you know, freedom, especially living in America is like, you know, I should I, I need to be free from the government, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but like people, if you were really living like in complete freedom as in. You didn't have to pay taxes. You're off the grid, whatever. That's a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. To to totally get off the grid and really have freedom like the Unabomber or some shit out in the woods. People, the official Giants confirmed stance is fuck libertarians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for Christ's sake. Those people are idiots. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, don't use the roads. But I need to get from here to there. Don't use the roads. If you don't want to pay the taxes, fuck you. <laughs> um, so the bells are ringing is kind of like that freedom from choice thing where... You know, this girl is trying to be, she's trying to think for herself. She's got cotton in her ears. She doesn't want to listen to what the bells are telling her to do. 
but people are like, no, you must be one of us and uh, do what everyone else does. They pull out her earplugs. I'm just like scrolling the lyrics page, and it's it's got a lot of lyrics. A lot of them are very are, are just repeated, but it's a long one. Oh yeah, in, in an album of long ones. It's only three and a half minutes, but you know, they might be giants. It's a long one. They really stretch it out. Speaking of which, is this going to be uh, your longest episode, guys? Oh, for sure. For sure. 100%. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I think that was, I think those were the tracks. Do you guys want to start wrapping up? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Only thing I'd want to bring out first is just uh, the Japanese version of the album has two more tracks, only one of which I particularly want to talk about, and it's Sense Around. I still remember the time When there was nothing to know What to think about Except the sound of my mind And the sound of my side Sense around down at the bottom Sensible to get into them And the wild first spoke to me And sense around Cool, tell me about Sense Around Because I didn't look these up Sense Around is a track that they'd... Um, I, I guess it was recorded as a, like as part of the sessions for this album, uh, mostly because they needed to create more songs for a single release of Sexxy, just as you know, as the label wanted them to do. Uh-huh. The other track, um, Unforgotten, Flans wasn't really happy with the way it turned out, but this one they ended up reusing for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack. Mm. Or sorry, no, they, they made it for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack first, and then they reused it for this session. Yeah. So that one was first. Very good. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, this is actually one of the tracks that you're signed up for, dude. Yeah, well, you could figure that out at some point. You guys should both be on it. Let's talk about Sense Around a, a bunch. On, uh, if we really want to have the synergy, maybe that should be the one we record, and we'll release it on the same day as this uh, this here Giants Confirmed episode. Yeah. I've never heard this song before in my life, but I'd be prepared to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so it's uh, this is the more polished of the two because it's the song that they'd um, that they'd done before for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack and then re-recorded. And it's just it's a good cut. It does not work as a closing track at all. It's it's something that would have to be slotted somewhere in like the middle of the album otherwise. But it, it's got a really good energy to it. Yeah, I will definitely check it out. Uh, Devo, Devo is also on that soundtrack. Wow. Full circle. That makes sense for me, Devo being on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Mark Mothersbaugh is a genius. Either way, that's Factory Showroom, baby. Yeah. Are you guys interested in my abbreviated track list? I didn't have to cut too many songs from this one because, you know, it is only a pretty brisk 13 tracks, but I think I did make some improvements. But they're long tracks. They are long tracks. So I would open, like I said earlier in the episode, with How Can I Sing Like a Girl? Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty good intro track. Then I'd go with uh, Till My Head Falls Off, Metal Detector, Your Own Worst Enemy, and XTC versus Adam Ant. That's side one. Okay. I thought you were saying you weren't... I thought the vibe I got was that you weren't that crazy about XTC versus Adam Ant. I, I don't love it, but it makes for a pretty okay side one closer, I think. Ah, okay. Maybe you could slot it in with uh, Exquisite Dead Guy if you'd prefer, but, you know, it's up to you. Then side two would be New York City, James K. Polk, Spiraling Shape, Pet Name, and The Bells Are Ringing. Okay. So you do you do a couple of track switches there. I do, yeah. I guess that 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 it makes sense in the context of like a a, a, a theoretical vinyl version when you're doing a side A and side B, you want to really make sure what your closers and openers are. Yep. And I I, I feel like you'd want to slot sense around there if you'd heard it, because it works. 
just it has to be somewhere else. <laughs> I'll I'll check it out. Maybe I, I I could see maybe switching that one in for XTC versus Adam Ant. It'd be a it'd be a good side closer. It'd be a side closer, but not an album closer. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Do you guys have anything else you want to say before we start uh, wrapping up the show? I think we can start wrapping up. Greg, thanks again so much for being on the program. Yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad you managed to restrain yourself. <laughs> this is not going to go 15 hours. <laughs> There's still time. Yeah, I was just listening to John Henry one walking the dog, and I'm like. Man, they only spent like three minutes on James Ensor. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun, guys. It's uh, it did feel like a blitzkrieg compared to what I'm used to, really, you know, stretching out and stuff. But um, it's good that there are various types of they might be giant shows for various types of they might be giants fans. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm all about the the, the crossover here. I mean, we're not in competition, so let's uh, let's have fun with it. Do you want to tell people where they can? Where they can find you and stuff? Yeah, so um, I guess if I'm going to plug stuff more than I have already, I guess people can find the podcast on uh, Twitter at This Might Be a Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook, too. I just started Instagram. This might be a podcast with underscores between everything. I, don't know, I think if you Google it, like you'll, it you'll find me. I also have thismightbeapodcast.com. I mean, we're, we're around. I put too much time into this, uh, so... Yeah, give the podcast a listen. There's a lot, a lot to dig into with this might be a podcast. Definitely do that. You can follow uh, our show on Twitter at TMBG Fancast. I think the Tumblr is just Giants Confirmed, right, Matt? Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, TRVRKRTH. It's my name with all the vowels taken out. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt GCN because he is the GameCube Nintendo. I am the GameCube. That's me. <laughs> and you can look forward to new episodes from us soon. We're trying to get back in the rhythm. It's a new year. New year, new decade, new show. It's the brand new decade, the 2020s. <laughs> Giants confirmed brand new podcast. There you go. That could be your, your theme. You should record that. I could probably record that. I'll need some falsetto on it, though. You'll have to help me out. Oh, I totally could. Do you guys want to try right now? No. <laughs> okay, then I will just say, until next time, I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Matt Ribeiro. I'm Greg Simpson. Thanks for having me, guys. And now that we're done, our heads can fall off. Clunk. Woo!